Hello and welcome to the Mixed Opinions Podcast. My name's Marcus, and this is the podcast for everything studio and sound related. Today, I've got with me William. Hiya. John. Hello. And today, our special guest is Daniel. Hello. Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm Dan. I'm a sound engineer from the northeast of England. I do a bit of front of house engineering. I also do a lot of repairs and a bit of shop work, that sort of thing. All right. Lots of repair work, as there is in our industry, but we'll get to that later. (laughs) John, you have a story for us from this week? Yeah. Go ahead and fill us in. Yeah, so this past Saturday, we had a show that was billed as four local bands, which, you know, that's, it's whatever. Local bands never send a stage plot or a rider or anything. But the thing they didn't realize was we have an 11 p.m. curfew. So they tried to fit four bands, and then one of the band members' daughter was doing, like, three songs as an opener. So we fit five acts in between 7.30 and 11 p.m., and it was a thrilling day. Yikes. Get any overlap there? (laughs) Yeah, thankfully, some backline was shared but not most. Oof. At least a drum kit? So the headliner drum kit was shared by the direct support, which was great. Um, The two openers had their own drum kits, but at least all the openers had the exact same channel configuration, so we just shared mics all night. So it was what it was. Mm, That's good. I was was going to, like, four four and a half bands in that amount of time. It's not the worst thing in the world, but if they're not showing gear... Exactly. That's oh, just insane. Yeah, it's nutty. How many soundtracks did you get? Uh, three. Three oh, soundtracks. That's not bad. Yeah, so I checked the the headliner, and then their direct support was sharing a bunch of gear. So we did them, and then we did the opener, and we just line checked the second band. That's good. Yeah, it's fun. It was certainly something. Gotta love. It. I mean, that was. I used to work at a, a venue, and it was a. Uh, it was. It was a lot of that. It was a lot of. You know, hey, there's three bands this weekend. You'd be like, on Friday night. And you'd be like, all right, that's a pain in the ass. And then you'd get there and be like, oh, no, there's five of us. Three are just the uh, support. And then we have two locals. And you'd be like, who the fuck is do? Who? I'm one guy. Yeah, what do you expect me to do? (laughs) You just have to do the entire thing by yourself. You you learn a lot of tricks that way. I've done a lot of amateur shows like that. There's a load of small venues where you'll get promoters who are basically just doing a bunch of bands and trying to fit as many in as possible because each band will bring a certain amount of friends. So it's just a case of yeah. them trying to get a, a full show so they don't lose all the money. Exactly. You basically resort to doing a festival patch for something like that and just sort of put fires out the entire night. Oh, I just kept a <laughs> festival patch the entire time. That's because that's all you can do, really. <laughs> and the problem is, is it's also very... Uh, industrial heavy venue is really well known for industrial music mm. so it wouldn't always be a straight patch sometimes it'd be like oh yeah uh, don't worry we're real easy we got uh, 12 DIs we're gonna feed you and I'm like <laughs> that we've got what? orchestral backing tracks <laughs> that's that's fine and I'll and I know it's easy for you but now I've I've got an entire festival patch with the mics for the opener and then you're showing up with 12 inputs that I got to put somewhere. And that means I have to disconnect the mics and then... Uh, okay. Gross. Fantastic. Fantastic. By the way, we brought an in-ear monitor rig. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the best one right before they're about to go on, too. It's like, oh, hey, uh, me, the bass player, and uh, the, the rhythm guitarist, we're all on in-ears. It's like, 
Why why are you saying this now? What do you expect me to do about that? (laughs) I I don't even... uh, Fine. Fine, guys. Whatever. (laughs) And this is all while I'm, like, literally, like, mixing (laughs) the band before them and trying to get all that clusterfuck together. Oh, it's great stuff. A couple weeks ago, I had a band come through um, that was fully on in-ears, which is normally fine and great. But they didn't bring an in-ear console, so my monitor engineer had to do all their ears in line check, which is not a fun time or a quick process. Wow. So bands, if you all want to be on in-ears, bring your own rig with a split. And also tell us ahead of time. That's, that's the main thing. If we, if we know when we're setting up to accommodate for that sort of stuff, it's really not that hard. It's just an email. Says, hey, we got so many in ears, and that way we're like, okay. And then you got some XLRs run out from your board, ready to go, plug in and go. But you tell us this halfway through, and we got our, you know, doghouse is full of all kinds of nonsense, and <laughs> you gotta plug it in yeah. in the dark, and you're like, god damn it. Ugh. I'm not really bothered how complicated your band is. It could turn up with like five guitarists, 27 banjo players, two drum kits, just. Tell us beforehand, like twenty tubers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just as long as as long as there's a, a bit of documentation to back it up, and then you know we're not spending most of soundcheck trying to run XLRs out, yeah, trying to debug your in ear rig that doesn't work. And that's that's also that band you just described with the twenty seven banjo players and seven guitarists. That's also the band that didn't send you the writer, and their writer <laughs> yeah. also says we absolutely need individual wedges for each member, and it's like oh. Yes. <laughs> I hope you've brought some with you. Let me bring out all 34 <laughs> wedges we got. Basically, if you've got more than drums, bass, guitars, and vocals, send an email saying what the other bullshit is. Yeah. And also, when you're putting together your input list, first take a look at a festival patch. Kick, snare, tom, tom, tom. You got an empty space just for whatever you want. Extra drums. Usually it's a pad. And then you got overheads in there and that's your drums and then nine is your bass your electric guitars are 10 and 11 and then after that you got extra free space to fill in and if you could keep it to that it makes it super easy for us because we don't have to change anything and we could tune you in real fast it's it's amazing what we can accomplish if people are organized (laughs) and also if you do have a split if you do have a split for your in-ear rack please Label what instrument it is coming to us instead of just numbers. I hate that. You're like, okay, I get that you've got this 1 through 16, but what are they? It's like, oh, yeah, it's just 1 to 1. Like, what? That doesn't mean shit to me. Vocals start at 17, and you've only got 16 channels. Do you have no vocals? It's just, oh. Uh, Public awareness is what we need of festival patches. All right, guys. So, plug-in tool of the week. What do we got from you, Will? Uh, what have we got from you, John? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question. What do we have from you, Dan? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm going to go with a tool, and it's my favorite tool in my belly case, and I love finding excuses to use it. It's the NTI Minimalizer ML1. It's old, but it's basically a handheld spectrum analyzer. It can show you if you've dropped a leg on an XLR with any signal source. 
you know, if you're out of balance on an XLR. It's got a VU PBM meter on there. Uh, and if you get the matching mic for it, it's even an SPL meter. Oh, wow. Oh, this is cool. It's a nice bit of kit. Pricey, new. <laughs> got one on eBay for nout. <laughs> Holy shit, I'm getting one of these. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty fancy stuff. I've got the signal generator that goes with it, and that is great for testing the hang before you fly it. Just bang through the, the boxes. Mm. Assuming you're using active, of course. Sine waves, square waves, polarity. That is my favourite tool. I love it. I say I just like to find excuses for use it. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it before. I never thought about it too much because it's so expensive. <laughs> just get a safe search on eBay. They do pop up. There's also a digital version uh, that will do basically the same thing but with AES signals, which I'm sure will... Oh, cool. You can buy it used for the same price as new. <laughs> what a deal. <laughs> and one for more than new. That's a steal. Oh, it comes with the mic, though. Yeah, the mic is pricey. I like that. How much are they paying you? <laughs> <laughs> Not enough. Not enough. So NTI, if you want to send me the AES version, that'd be great. <laughs> you got to send it to all of us. We will accept sponsorship. And that's all there is to that. Yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll give it a review. Before you know it, we'll all be using SM7Bs. God damn it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we should ask SE Electronics to sponsor us and all start recording with V7s. Oof. They don't even need to send me one. Well, after that mixing contest, I'm not a. I'm gonna. I'm gonna squamp that down. Those were the mixing contest had some rough vocal recordings. There's a lot of mud. Was that the V7, John? Yeah. On uh, the first three, yeah. Ooh. Fourth one was okay. <laughs> Except he couldn't sing, but that's beside the point. That's not my job. That is uh, not the microphone's fault. No. I've uh, I have got a plug-in. Oh. Hit us. I've not used it a huge amount because I've not had many guitar projects, but the Soundtoys Devil Lock Deluxe, it's just sort of like a little bit of a distortion crunch sort of thing. Like A lot of the times I'm getting like really thin guitar tones, just adding a little bit of this into the mix can just help bring it out so much more it's a really simple plugin it's from sound toys so make of that what you will but no i've just it's helped thicken up loads of guitars i actually used it on the mix contest the other day um and it's just been really fucking useful cool my plugin of the week is i'm gonna go with pre-box just because it's a really cool plugin i think more people should know about it it's made by analog obsession and it's really just like a pick your distortion type deal you know, you pick your, I mean, it's not even just mic preamps. It's, you know, it's got 1176 and tape simulations in there. And it just kind of makes a good, quick solution when you're like, this needs some saturation. And that, and you can just flip through real easily and select a different type of color. And you can audition them right there. I think it's a really useful tool. Owning any analog mic preamp because you get one, more than one type and you can remove it if you need or increase the amount after the fact. You know, it's... And it fits in a laptop Yeah. I like the tape color. Looks like something I'd use. Yeah, I picked that quite a bit. So, we've got our buddy Daniel here. And I think it's probably a good idea to talk about our industry's issue with repairing of technology. And uh, I think we should probably let him take it and give us a good preface into this whole conversation. Okay. So, obviously the equipment we use... It goes through hell. It gets handled by people who should know what they're doing, but probably don't. And I feel personally attacked. <laughs> ultimately, it'll end up on our workbench. And depending on the bit of equipment, you'll have absolutely no idea how it works internally 
or there'll be no documentation to tell you how it works. Um, and when it's something I can amplify it, yeah, you can take some decent guesses. Amplifiers are amplifiers unless they're doing something really crazy and it's a lab amp that's, you know, nuts. But if it's something more complicated, let's take an XR as an example, which I have an XR18 on my workbench. How am I supposed to even begin to repair something that is on the digital circuitry? If I email Behringer, they won't help. And other than relying on leaked schematics, which I'm not going to lie, I have a few leaked schematics for various things, you're basically stuffed. And then what happens to that? That bit of equipment is now thrown away, or it might just go on my shelf where it'll collect dust. I might just scavenge it for parts and, I don't know, take the XLR connectors out of it, or turn it into a plant pot, depends what it is. <laughs> I just think the industry can do better. It, these are like, I know Behringer isn't a high-end thing, so they can sort of get a pass, but... When we're talking about a company like Black Magic Design, I've had a few of their switches through my workshop. And uh, I've also had a few of their monitors, and the monitor's quite an interesting one. We had a spate of SDI inputs just blow for absolutely no discernible reason with poorly made cables or TVs wow. that are floating at like 100 volt or something stupid. But they're all out of warranty, and Black Magic want basically retail price to repair these things. So I thought, you know what, I'll pull it apart, I'll have a look. And I found the SDI transceiver chip inside, which had failed. I only have to swap one part and I can get these things going again. Unfortunately, this part measures about three millimetre across and has no markings on it. Oh, perfect. Nice. So the best thing I can do is I'll email Blackmagic. So I did. Oh, sorry, we can only supply you with a PCB for 345 quid or whatever it was when the monitor's worth about 400 quid. What, what am I going to do? <laughs> uh, again, it's just going just to go to landfill. In that case, I actually managed to work out what the part was, just process of elimination, just went through data sheets and found out what it was, and I managed to repair it for 35 quid. I just wish that these high-end equipment companies would just do better. We want their equipment in use, and you pay a pretty penny for it. I don't understand why service manuals are so like rare for a lot of things, or like the the ability to get access to them. Yeah, like well, there's a lot of reasons. I think it's you know, first of all, it's industry secrets is a big deal with it. Yes, I have a friend who makes control surfaces uh, himself in his backyard. He's done it for many years, and uh, one of the things that's always been a concern. Well, he's been ripped off by big companies as well, Roland and DigiDesign, mm -hmm. and. Uh, He's become extremely paranoid about who he sells things to. And, you know, they're not cheap, so he's able to actually communicate with them and understand them. But sometimes he'll get a, he'll get a request from somewhere in uh, China, just a dry <laughs> order, and he'll mm. go through and he'll just he'll grind all the chips, all the labels off the chips to make sure that, you know, at least there's there, he's at least he's slowing them down in reverse engineering it and trying to make a clone oh, wow. of it. And uh, if he was to just give out the schematic for his thing, that would be, like, completely against that functionality, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah, I think that's what it'll come down to for a lot of companies. I think they just want to protect their IP. Yeah. But personally, I'm not too bothered about signing an NDA. If they can give me even just a single part number just for to get this one bit of equipment where they don't have to give me a schematic, that would have saved me about three hours trying to work out what this chip was. I don't know, it's... I just you see companies like Apple now are doing the uh, the the pushing for consumer repairability. I mean, they sort of have to. <laughs> the the media's been at it for ages now, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, 
equipment if we yeah. do it. Well, that's the, I mean, it's obviously not a fight Apple's going to look to be ending anytime soon. <laughs> no, no. Because so much of their profit is just made on selling you shit again. You know? Yeah. They don't, they don't want someone walking in and like, oh, can I get the schematic for this? Or just, can I, what's the replacement part I need for this thing? They don't want to do, they don't want to do that. They want to be like, <laughs> oh, your, your, your home button's a little sticky. It's probably time to upgrade. Yeah. And then. That's an option where they just didn't make $600 if they showed you how to fix the issue. You know what I'm saying? I think to uh, to balance it out, I think I'd like to mention two companies that have been extremely helpful. Trantech and ADJ. Ooh, ADJ, really? Interesting. Yeah. So Trantech were absolutely upfront with any questions I had. They, would, they wouldn't give me a schematic, understandably, but like... They would give me a quick brief overview if I was a bit stuck with a repair. Wonderful. Get the thing off my workbench and back to whoever sent me it. ADJ. Wow. Their service is great. They sent over a service kit for a couple of lights I was working on. They were happy to explain how all of the individual boards inside work and what they do. Wow. And they even sent over firmware files to update them. And I'm not even like a registered ADJ service center or anything. They're just straight up. I could definitely see that being more of a thing for lighting and stuff. Yeah. I definitely see where yeah. they would be more helpful. Because, I mean, moving heads, you know, it's a moving device that really gets abused. So having the ability, <laughs> yes. I mean, there's not a single Mac 2K in existence right now that hasn't been repaired at least 10 times. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've repaired a few Mac 250s. So that. Yeah. A big part of it. The last, um, the last console repair I did was the uh, VI... 3000 or 2000 I think mm. and we actually uh, the, the service manual for it is fucking ancient obviously it sends you because we had to, uh, basically the hard drive had shut itself so we had to replace that we actually got part of the service manual on how to open it up but the firmware file that they told us to download was from like from an old file sharing site that didn't exist for the last <laughs> sort of six or seven years Oh. It was just such a pain, so we had to get them to email it over, and one way or another, apparently they had to use... They, they sent it to my boss, because he was the one who was getting me to do the repair, because he's a technical manager at this selection of venues. Apparently they just used some fucking weird file sending service, <laughs> and it was just a massive pain, because it's like three gigabytes. It's just... Yeah. It's just silly. And I guess, it, I think there's a lot of it, too, when you're looking at... You know, like he mentioned the X-Air earlier, that's, you know, it's a whole bunch of surface mount components. and uh, Yeah, I, I get it. Not everyone's set up for that. Because, you know, you're going to get a lot of guys who are like, don't know really anything about it, about repairs or anything. Yeah. And they're going to be asking for like, oh, how do I do this? And how do I do that? And asking for their hands to be held throughout the whole thing. <laughs> and then they fuck it up on their own. And it becomes a whole thing. And I know Behringer's pretty good about just like, oh... You're in your warranty, which their warranties are really long. So they're like, oh, yeah, just send it in and we'll repair it or replace it. Or if you're out of warranty, they can still. I, I remember their, their repair out of warranty isn't isn't bad, really. Never had to use out warranty. An X32 for repair in warranty. And they, they were very good, to be fair. Just gave them a brief description, dropped it off in Kidderminster. There you go. It was fixed a week later. Yeah, I know with the wing, I had the touchscreen issue, and they, they're they like, oh, yeah, the touchscreen, and the guy, you know, I called him on the phone. It was just, you know, a regular dude like us, or he called me, or I don't remember the, the way it went. And it was, 
you know, a conversation. She's like, did you try blah, 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 and checking this and that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I was, you know, I could actually ask him you know, like questions or I'd be talking about this thing. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, well, you see, this is how this is going on. And, you know, actually explaining it. And then when it came down to that the screen needed to be replaced, he was like, well, right now we don't have any replacement screens because we had to get that batch out of here because we, we felt that those were bad batch screens. But we do have some boards that do have good screens. And uh, once you get the receipt from mailing it back and they paid for the shipping and all that stuff, once you get the receipt, email it to me and I'll immediately send you out a new board. And it was here within, I think, three days. That's service. That's good. And it was, a, you know, a brand new board, which and I had also just used it on a recording where my friend was an idiot and didn't use an EtherCon and he tripped over the cable and completely destroyed my AES-50A port. And I'm like, by the way, this thing's nice. wrecked. He's oh. like, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll take care of it. We'll just, just don't worry about it. We'll send you a new one. You don't have to worry about that. And I'm like, ooh, sweet. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. That old touchscreen issue has got had to be a nightmare to deal with because yeah. it didn't present for months. You know, we've been quite lucky with that. Didn't present for months, so there's no way to actually. They'd have to take all the boards out and run all of them for months on end just to see which ones were acting funky. All during a chip shortage during COVID. You know, what ended up being wrong with the touch screens? I didn't quite understand. It had to do with the uh, capacitive touch or whatever, or just like what behavior were they showing that made them broken? Oh, it would just be touching in like a few random places rapidly a bunch gotcha and it was the the pleating the way these little strips went down to like give a point of relief mm -hmm. so when you're touching it's not like whatever i guess the the pattern was off uh, they haven't done many touch screens at all before that but they did add mouse support which is really cool so you could just disable the touch screen and still use the board like normal yeah get you through a gig which is kind of a cool silver lining of, yeah, the touchscreens are fucked up, but hey, suck it, CO5. Basically a profile, though. Better than a profile, because you got a monitor. you got a screen. <laughs> <laughs> Better than a pro, because you could touch it. And that's a lot of fun stuff. What do you think has been the, the most fun repair for you to do? Ooh, the most fun. Funny enough, it wasn't actually a bit of audio tech, but I had someone come in with an external hard drive that had family photos on it <laughs> and the drive had just gone yeah family photos yeah <laughs> it got into a into some sort of like busy mode it wouldn't it wouldn't like enumerate or anything it would just click away and you wouldn't even see it show up on the computer did a bit of research and it turned out it was a firmware bug oh i took it out the shell and i got an old arduino took the chip off the Arduino, so I was just using the board as like a, a USB to serial converter hmm. and just soldered the wires onto the onto the chip and there's like a service menu on the drive you can get into and you can reset this busy flag, reset it. Oh, shit. Boom, all the data was there. Oh, wow. I saved all this data in like an hour and I was like... You must have felt like an absolute <laughs> badass <laughs> yeah. and getting them oh. working. Oh, I was on a high for a week. Yeah. <laughs> Guy comes That's in to pick cool it up shit. and, well, how would you do? And you go, oh, I just see blonde brunette in redhead. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Matrix reference. Yeah, I, 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 um, I did a short stint in like a repairs warehouse. Like I was basically just a monkey with a soldering iron, but I really enjoyed opening up CD drives because we did a lot of like DVD players and quarters and just generally getting um, taken apart the CD drives and the trays by themselves. 
and just get into like the little laser and all the mechanisms around there. It was one of like the first times that I'd opened something up myself and like without actually having much explained to it, was able to take apart all of it, solder new bits onto it, and then put it back together and have it still function. It's very satisfying. Feelings of power, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Mixed Opinions Podcast, and we'll see you next week. Boy. Bye. Bye. Mmm. Mmm. I'm liking that.